Well, as the ushers uh, finish uh, collecting this morning's offering, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Um, and we are actually, we're, we're nearing the end of our series on freedom from religion. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through the book of Colossians, and we've been taking a look at how religion and a relationship with the God of the universe are, frankly, not the same thing. And we've been dealing with the fact that a lot of times what we end up doing is we end up substituting religious activity, do's and don'ts, have-to's, we end up substituting those things for relationship with the God that loves, cares, and draws us close. And so we've seen Paul's warning about that. We've seen his caution not to be um, too stuck in religious activity and not to trust those types of things to save us, but instead to revel in the freedom that comes to, to be one with God through Jesus Christ. Okay? And so we continue in that today, and we talk about that as we see what Paul has to say as we get towards the end of the letter about relationships. And here's the deal with relationships, and hopefully this won't surprise you. Relationships are hard. Relationships are tricky. The world is broken. People are messy. People let you down. People are difficult to deal with. And as soon as I say relationships are tricky, I'm going to go ahead and imagine that many of you had a face that just popped in your head. And for most of you, it probably wasn't even me. Although, let's be honest, for some of you it was. But that's okay, I can take it. But most of us have somebody. As soon as we say relationships are hard, as soon as we say they're tricky, most of us have somebody that we automatically start to think about. Somebody that, that has wronged us. Somebody that's let us down. Somebody that's burned us. Somebody that continues to let us down. We all have it. And then, if we're really honest, I have bad news for you. You've done that to other people. See, not only are you thinking of someone in your head, you're like, okay, I got somebody. That person has wronged me. They've let me down. They've hurt me. There's a problem. Somebody else is thinking about you. Because we all screw this thing up. Like, there are none of us that are not actively causing problems with relationships. We don't do it on purpose, but we do it because everything is broken. Everything is wrong. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. Have you ever noticed how relationships are hard? Like, they're just hard. You ever hurt people and you have no idea how it happened? Like, somebody is offended or angry or mad and you have no idea how you got there. It just happens. That's the way it is in this world that we live in, especially in this culture when people look for ways to be offended or upset. I mean, people are on the lookout for things to be offended by. I think about my own family, okay, my own um, extended family relationships, and there are a lot of times where I might get a phone call from my mother, and I might get a talking to because I said something or did something that hurt somebody, and I'm like, well, I, 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 how did you get there? Like, how did you get to somebody being offended by what I said about Fraggle Rock? 
I love Fraggle Rock. If you're, you don't know if you're young, but if you're my age or older, who doesn't love Fraggle Rock? Okay, but how do you get, like, like just talking, having a conversation about this, and all of a sudden, I've hurt somebody's feelings. It's hard. It's hard to navigate. But relationships are worth it, and we must push ahead. Paul addresses this in the book of Colossians, and it's, just so you know, just as a reminder, this is one of our core values here at Blessed Hope. We, I remind you of our core values frequently because I need you to know that if this is the church you call home, these are things that we really care about. These are things that are in our DNA. These are things that should define who we are. These are the things that we are about. And one of the things that we know, if you're a part of this church, you are messy. I am messy. We all are. But everyone has value and everybody needs grace. This is how it works. We understand it. And so we're really interested in what Paul has to say as we get into scripture, as he starts talking about how to navigate through some of these things. Okay. But honestly, this is why the gospel is so great. The gospel is so great because what it does is it takes something that's broken and it can redeem it into something that's valuable and something that's so much better than what the world says. See, here's the way it works in the world. Relationships are worthwhile in the world until they stop being worthwhile. Someone is important to me until they stop serving a purpose. People are worth it until they get to be And you've probably said this before, or felt it at least, until they get to be more trouble than they're worth. Okay? And so this is the way that it works in the world. And and even if we have better relationships than that, even if it's not always a quid pro quo kind of thing, like, what have you done for me lately? Uh, We get to this point where we start to navigate them a little bit with like, you know as well as I do that there's a line. And if somebody crosses that threshold, then we hit the eject button and the relationship is over. You've got friends in your life that, that those relationships have ended because it went one too far. Something. Okay? You've got relationships um, it, with coworkers or, or with bosses where, you know what, we get to a point where we're like, okay, we're walking away. Because it just crossed a line, it's no more. Uh, as we serve together on volunteer teams, things like that. We, you know, we do well enough until it gets to be hard. But that's the difference. When we add the gospel and the gospel changes everything. The gospel says now we operate in a new paradigm. And the new paradigm is love and grace. So take a look at, at, at this, right? So now, this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus at the Last Supper talking to his disciples. He says, so now... I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. Right? Just as I've loved you. That's how you're supposed to love each other. This is a new normal. Jesus says this now at the Last Supper. Now, again, he's talking to the church. Stop getting mad at people from outside the church for acting like people from outside the church. It's interesting. Um, A lot of times I have conversations and, and, and people... People will say, well, you know, Matt, we, we, need to have, we need to have a lot more grace. Like, we need to be known for being more gracious. We need to be a lot kinder. We need to be a lot softer. And I'm going to say yes and no. I want you to listen carefully to me. This is such a big deal. You have to get this. People that do not claim Christ, you can never expect them to act like people that claim Christ. It's unfair, it's unrealistic it's not appropriate, right? I am never going to hold somebody who says, I want nothing to do with Jesus. I am not going to hold them to a standard that Jesus holds. No, 
They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Their life hasn't been changed by Jesus. They don't believe that this has anything instructive for them. So why in the world would they live up to this? Stop being mad at people from outside of the church for living like people that are outside of the church. It makes no sense. But listen to me. Stop making excuses for people that claim Christ and then want to do whatever they want to do. You got to knock that off. You got to stop empowering that. You have to stop acting like that's all right. Okay? Jesus says, inside the church, this is the way you act. Love one another the way that I've loved. You know, <laughs> and, and he says this right after he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to go die for you in a few hours. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to die for you in a few hours. So here's what you do. Now you go treat each other that way. Right? I'm not mad at people for outside the church because they don't love like that, but we have to do better. We have got to love like that. Our relationships have to be marked with that. We don't really have a choice. It's not up for debate. It's not a suggestion. It says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Be marked by this kind of love. That's what it looks like. And so we're going to jump into what Paul has to say. Uh, you can open up your Bibles if you've got them. They might be in the, in the chairs in front of you. We're going to look at our text a little different than we typically do. Um, we'll have it on the screen, and we're going to break it down. But to start with, we're going to look at an overall theme. And so I'm just going to read for you Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through, uh, through the first verse of chapter 4. You can follow along. Wives, oh, okay. I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to read about wives submitting. And right away, like a bunch of you are going to be like, oh, I knew it. Give me a few minutes. Okay, give me a few minutes. We're going to be okay. We'll get there together. Just, okay. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you've done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, and so I start with that overall, and, and what Paul does there is he's addressing roles, okay? And the reason I caution you, okay, wait, I, because I know what's going to happen. As soon as we start talking about different roles, automatically we get stuck. But, but here's a truth that I need you to know about religion versus a relationship with Jesus. See, here, here's, here's the big idea. Religion focuses exclusively on the roles. And I want you to understand, the roles are important. The roles have value. The roles need to be discussed. We need to understand what God says for the different roles in a family and the different roles in society and the way things work, and we're going to look at those. But what religion does is religion focuses on the roles and only on the roles. In fact, some of you in here have probably um, heard preachers, um, hopefully not here, 
but, but on TV or on the radio or somewhere, you, you've heard them use those verses and that scripture and those passages to, um, to maybe say things that aren't biblical about the roles of men and women and other things. But, but what I'm telling you is that that's, that's not the intention here. And we do need to focus on the roles and we need to understand those. But first, we need to understand that, that above that, higher than that, is the character that God calls us to. Okay? And so we're going to look at the four commands that we see there, and we're going to see how they apply to everyone in general before we get into the specific roles. Okay? So we'll start with the four characteristics. The first one is submission. Okay? It reads specifically, wives, submit to your husbands. But the very same author, Paul, the very same author in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, says this to husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? So yes, we are going to talk about the specific roles and what it means for wives to submit to husbands, because that is a command. But before we even get there, we have to start with this general truth that says husbands and wives are to submit to one another, not because of their inherent value, but because of reverence for Jesus Christ. So God says, because Jesus is who he is, because Jesus is the head of the church, because Jesus died on a cross to redeem people and to redeem the church, because of that truth, get over yourself. Submit to one another. Okay? And the submission to one another is not about seeing how low I can get. It's not about being walked on. It's not about being taken advantage of. The submission to one another, get this, it's to outserve each other. The heart of this the heart of the text is, what can you do for your spouse, your family? How can you outwork them? And some of you are like, well, why would I want to outwork my spouse? Right? Because then I will work really, really hard, and my spouse will sit back, and they will reap all the benefits, except at the same time, they're trying to outwork you. Can you imagine a relationship right, where both people in the relationship are so focused on outserving the other one? How good is that when you get to that kind of a relationship where I don't have to worry about standing up for my own rights because my spouse is, because Carrie is, is worried about that on my behalf and Carrie doesn't have to worry about being taken advantage of or standing up for her own rights because I am more focused on her than I am myself. Paul says, submit to each other out of reverence for who Christ is. Act like him. He got as low as he possibly could. He sacrificed himself for the sake of the church. Act like him. The other characteristic we love, husbands, love your wives. And just so you know, that word for love there, that's agape love. We talk about agape love all the time. Agape love isn't brotherly love. I want you to have people in your life that you have brotherly love with camaraderie, fellowship. It's not eros. It's not sexual love, right? It's not romantic love. I want you to have people in your life that you have romantic love with when you're married or the appropriate version of it when you're dating, right? Don't, don't jump the gun. But, but that's not what this is. 
This command to love, this is agape love. This is, he's saying agape one another. This is covenant commitment love. This is the word that God used when he says, I love you so much. God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die. God agaped the world to that degree. He loved the world. He was in a covenant love with the world that didn't matter what we did. It didn't matter how much we sinned. It didn't matter what wrong things we'd done. God loved us past that. That's that word. Love one another past that. So can I tell you something? Um, just, you just need to know this as we get in here, that you, as Christians, you ought to be experts at submission and love, regardless of your sex, regardless of your gender, regardless of any of that. You must be an expert at submission and an expert at love. Husbands, Be careful. Be careful. When you sit back and, and, and you demand obedience, I mean, well, the Bible says it. You need to submit to me. That's the, uh, you're missing the heart of the gospel. Okay? Wives, when, when you, when you like, oh, I can submit, but I don't have to act loving at all. I, 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 can, I can do my wifely role, but I don't, I, there's no emotional attachment. There's no investment now. You're missing the heart of the gospel. We are to be experts at submission and love. There's a couple others here. We'll just go quickly. Obedience. This one is talking to, to children and slaves, but again, we all ought to be experts at this. Um, we get to 1 Peter 1.16, and he says, for the scriptures say, you, talking to Christians, must be holy because I, God, am holy. Obedience is another mark for Christians. This is what we do. If we aren't learning obedience, I, we have to question whether or not we really, I mean, okay, I'm going to say this, and it's going to hurt a little bit, maybe sting some of you. Do with it what you will, conviction. Uh, I'm not throwing condemnation at any of you. But if the Holy Spirit chooses to convict you on some of this, that, I'm not going to stop him. I'm not going to apologize for it. If some of you struggle with obedience, if some of you struggle, I mean, you, you probably get sick of me saying this every week. You can't say, yes, I'm a Christian. Thank you, God, for your sacrifice. I will continue to sin wantonly, and I don't care what anybody says. It's time to look in the mirror and question whether or not this is really true for you. It doesn't work that way. Right? God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, you know what, I love you so much that you can keep on sinning all you want and I don't care. No, it doesn't work that way. Everybody, all of us need to be thriving in obedience. And we keep going and we get, oh, there's the last one, fairness. As Christians, our, our attitude and our behavior ought to be marked by fairness. Okay? Now, there's two things. Look at obedience. Inside the church, this is the one that causes us the most grief. In fact, there are churches that right and left are sacrificing the doctrine of obedience because people don't like it. What you'll find when you read through this book, these are God's words, and what you'll find when you read through this book is a high standard. 
It's a high standard. Things about morality, things about sexuality, things about personal decisions that we make, things about our behavior, things about our relationships, all kinds of things um, that, that this book has to say about, it, and it's a high standard of obedience. And so from inside the church, what happens is we tend to be upset about the high standard of obedience because we don't want to have to see it through. We don't want to have to live that way. We like our sin. We like that stuff. So we don't necessarily want to have to do much with, so, so we, tend to, we tend to put pressure on churches to soften our stance on morality and on obedience. And we say, you know what? Preach less on that. Talk less about that. Believe less about that. Stop doing that. And what we've seen is we've seen whole denominations move away from good moral teaching. Why? Because their people didn't like it. Okay, I'm, I don't need to point fingers, I don't need to name names, but you could just take a short tour around Vinton. You, you could hit up some of the different local churches and, and you'd find several of them, unfortunately, that have walked away from good, solid biblical truth. Why? Because their people didn't like it very much. And because, well, it seems mean. It seems extra harsh. And I don't want people to be mad at us. I don't want people to think we're not nice. I don't want people to stop coming. So, so slowly, over the course of years, we start walking away from good, core, biblical truth until we get to this point where all of a sudden we've compromised what the Bible has to say about things. We do that to ourselves. We can blame the world for that if we want, but we do that to ourselves. And then we get to fairness. Fairness is the one that the rest of the world wants to put pressure on the church. See, obedience, that's the thing inside the church. We're like, we don't like obedience. We don't want to be obedient sometimes, and so we put pressure. Uh, we push out to say, no, 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 let's compromise. Okay, fairness, though, the rest of the world comes out and says, you know what, the church is being unfair. The church is being unfair with the way that we demand certain things or the way that we teach certain things or the way that we view certain things. And, and you know what, it gets hard. Because a lot of times in our world, what we've done is we've said fairness now equals equality. Like, every, to be fair, everything has to be the same. And I'll, I'll never, I, I remember very vividly when, when Aubrey explained to me that I was unfair. It was unfair. I broke the rules. Confession time. I let Travis drive around the church parking lot well before he had his permit. The dude was like 12. Like, whatever. Drive around the church parking lot. It's no big deal. Some of you are like, I was driving the truck on the farm when I was nine. We didn't grow up on a farm. We grew, we grew up in town. And I once let Travis drive the golf cart through the yard. You know, we've got a corner lot, decent-sized yard, and we had a golf cart. I'm like, yeah, drive it around. Ran through my fence. <laughs> I mean, I, seriously, I heard a crash. I came outside. What happened? Golf cart sticking through the privacy fence. How? It's like the one question, I, it burns at me. I'm like, how? I kid you not. I wanted to, between tears, right? I wanted to see how close I could get and slide to a stop. Like, bro, what did you think was going to happen? It's like, well, I thought I would just nudge it. 
That was like two years ago, and it still hurts. <laughs> Fence isn't fixed it either, but I did put like a big thing in front of it so the dog can't escape. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. Point is, so when it was time to drive around the parking lot here, I was a little extra cautious, like, okay, you know what? We can practice driving, not in our front yard. We're going to the church parking lot. Right, don't worry, nobody else was here. It was like in a night, cars were gone. But Aubrey wanted to drive. Aubrey's nine at the time. I'm like, yeah, no. You know what she says? It's not fair. It's not fair. See, and, and that's kind of the, the lie that our world is bought into about fair. We have this idea that fair means it has to be the same, or that fair means equal. But my kids are different. Their ages are different. It was the same thing with bedtime. It was like, you know, Travis is 14. He goes to bed now. Aubrey's 11. She goes to bed a little bit earlier. It's not fair. Well, you know what? It is fair, right? I live with my wife. I have sex with my wife. You live with your girlfriend. You have sex with your girlfriend. We call one a sin. We say the other one is righteous. It's not fair. Yeah, you know what? Fair doesn't mean equal. You get to be with the person you love, yet you tell me being with the person I love, that's wrong. It's not fair. It's not about fair. It's it's not about that. It's, It's not about everything being equal. See, God's word has something to say about this, and we are called as Christians the mark of treat people fairly, but we cannot buy into the lie that the culture wants to push on us that fair means everything has to be equal. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way God intended it to work, and it's not a popular message, but it is the way that it is, right? I mean, it's like, you're like, I mean, we go on and on and on with the list of examples, but this just is what it is. And, and so we understand this. The key for Christians, look, you got to be marked. This is a tough deal for some of you because some of you um, are really intolerant and you're not fair when it comes to people from outside of the church. Okay? I mean, that just is what it is. Some, and there are times when I'm not either. Okay? Christians must, though, be marked by tolerance and fairness. But get this next part. Really, really understand this. Drill down on this. There's nothing about that that means that you acquiesce or that you give in or that you change or that you allow things that you shouldn't allow. See, don't believe the lie of the world that says, well, you either have to allow everything or you have to be a bigot. No, 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 no. You can be tolerant and fair without acquiescing and giving up. That's the line we try to walk here at Blessed Hope all the time. That's the line we teach you to walk. And I I hope it's the one that you're effectively navigating in the world that you live. Right? Because we'll see this as we get to the end of this. We'll, We'll get here. But you speak for me. As a Christian, you speak for me. For some of you, I'm really glad because you're better at it than I am. For some of you, it really irritates me because you're, you're giving the wrong message. Right? And it's not just us. It's people all over the world um, that in the name of God do this and say this, and, and, and they speak for you as Christians. Okay? All right. 
But there's, those are the four things. The, the four things, we'll go back here, the four characteristics uh, that will really help us navigate broken relationships. If we are experts at submitting and loving and being obedient and being fair, if we're experts at those things, that will help us navigate broken relationships. It'll help us survive. It'll help us manage them better. And then we get to the text where we specifically break down what it is that God has to say about these different roles. And so we're going to do this, and we're going to start with wives and husbands. Okay? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. The reason that, that, that Paul starts there, the reason that God wants us to start there is because something that we learn in other parts of Scripture and something that we learn is that the marriage relationship... Okay, is meant to paint this grand picture. Okay, the marriage relationship is meant to paint this grand picture about what the relationship with Christ in the church is like. Read through Ephesians 5 and you'll get that flavor that says, look, um, that husbands are head of their wives the way that Christ is the head of the church. Okay, the picture of Jesus and his church, God gives that to everybody in the family. It's why dysfunctional, Marriages are problematic for the church. It's why people not honoring marriage with their, um, their relationships, with their sexuality, with anything, it's, it, it's bad for the church, okay? Because God says the marriage is a picture of the way that I love the church. And so wives submit to your husbands as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. That's why it's as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. This is a picture Okay, husbands, love, that's agape, by the way, agape your wives and never treat them harshly. In fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what was Christ willing to do for the church? He was willing to die for the church. Okay, and so here we see this picture. And there's a reason for it. How many of you are aware if you're married, that you and your spouse are different. <laughs> Go ahead, you can raise your hand. How many of you are familiar with this concept? How many of you have dated anyone in the opposite sex and are also familiar with the concept of men and women being different? Okay, there you go. Here's, here's the reality. God has wired you differently. What, what's all this talk about submission and love. The word submission there, Paul also uses a very similar word in the book of Ephesians. It's called respect. What's the issue there? And what is this thing about harshly? How come we don't tell wives not to treat men harshly? Men. How many of you have been yelled at by your wives? Right? The difference is this. We're wired differently. Men and women are wired differently. God creates us differently. We've gone over this. When, way back when we did our series on the book of the Song of Solomon, uh, we, we dealt with this idea of Genesis that women, the extra estrogen that you have, that wasn't an accident, right? Satan didn't jack that up at creation. God did that on purpose. You are emotional. You feel deeply your heart breaks more easily because God wired you that way. It's not an accident. It's purposeful. You know why? Because you have things to accomplish as a wife and mother that we couldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. 
You are wired to, to intimately connect with our kids in ways that we aren't. When the kids cry at night, when they have nightmares, when those things happen, when they fall down and hurt themselves, when their friends don't invite them to a birthday party that they thought they were going to get invited to, right? When somebody says something that knocks them down at school, whatever it is, when they come home, nine times out of 10, the person they want to talk to is mom. Because you connect and you pour it. And oh, don't get, I mean, come on. They're throwing up in the middle of the night. I swear to you, they're not in the bathroom calling, Dad! <laughs> That's not happening. I mean, maybe occasionally. But it's not how they're, why, because you own that. And you knock it out of the park. And it's the way God's hardwired you. And you're nurturers. And it's not an accident. And so men, oh my goodness, men, a harsh word from you, the person that loves and is supposed to pour into your spouse more than anybody else, are you kidding me? God has wired them to feel so deeply more than you or I ever could. And yet you're going to walk out there and you're going to throw harsh words you're going to break their spirit? That's ridiculous. That's why God instructs us differently, because we're different people, because he's wired us differently. Okay? So husbands, love your wives. Never treat them harshly. But wives, God has hardwired your husbands to lead you, to sacrifice for you, to do for you. You know, it's like one of, the, one of the biggest arguments between husbands and wives. I do a lot of marital counseling. One of the biggest arguments is, is well, well, you know what? He won't open up to me. He won't tell me how he's feeling. I get it. You want to know how he's feeling? He doesn't know how he's feeling. God didn't hardwire him for that. God, God hardwired him for action. God hardwired him to do, to be about things, to to provide and to lead. It's why you complete each other. It's why you're good together. We have to understand this as we navigate this. And I know a lot of men who would willingly die for their wives. This is what he says. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do? He gave up his life for the church. You are called to love your wife in that regard. And you know what? I, I feel confident that most of the men in this room who are married would die for their families. The problem is we're really awesome at grand gestures. We're really great at grand gestures. We're not awesome at the everyday reality. It's one of the best things I get to say at funerals. Honestly, one of the best things I get to say at funerals is when I, when I provide a eulogy for somebody and then provide, you know, let, let's talk, how does this fit with, with, with what God says our lives should be like at, at funerals when I get to say, you know what, this person lived out the command to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. And here's what I love to be able to say. And they never had to lay their life down in that one sweeping moment, in that one decision to die for somebody. But here's, here's what's great. When I can say, but they did it every day. Men, that's what you are supposed to be for your families. When I can say, but they did it every single day. They served 
with love and they sacrifice the way that Christ sacrificed for the church. Listen, if you're not married, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for, for a husband that loves that way. If you're a guy and you're not married, that's what you're to be. And if you're not sure you can be that, you're not ready to get married. Because this is what it is. This is the everyday decision that I am not as important as I thought that I was, but that I'm going to pour out for the sake of my family the way that Christ pours himself out for the sake of the church. Okay, get this big idea. Men, you're called to love your wives not according to how lovable they are. Don't come to my office and tell me that I can't love my wife because she's not lovable. Because I'm going to tell you that God loves me like crazy. And I am not very lovable either. And you are to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. And it is not contingent on how attractive the church is in the moment. Thank goodness. Women, you're called to respect and submit to your husbands and their leadership of your family not because they've earned it necessarily. See, this is the one I, oh, I, you know what? I respect people that earn my respect. Maybe in the business world, not in a marriage. Okay, here's the other thing. You can write this one down. You can remember it, do whatever you have to do, but here's the deal. Your spouse is not responsible for how you treat them. Ever. Your spouse is not responsible for how you treat them. You are to pour out for your spouse. Men, you are to love your spouse like Christ loved the church. Women, you are to respect and honor and submit to your husbands as is fitting for those in the Lord, and it is never contingent on their behavior. Marriage is a big deal. Okay, we continue with broken relationships and how to navigate them a little bit. Uh, Paul quickly moves on to children. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. We could put mothers there as well. We've already talked about that, being harsh with them. But don't aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Listen, parents, do you have the right to demand obedience from your children? Sure you do. Should you demand obedience from your children. Sure you should. Okay? Kids, you have to be obedient, and we teach them this downstairs too. Part of the, 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 the nature of obedience is I figure out how to be obedient to my parents, and that feeds into then how I'm obedient to God later on. This is training ground. You're, you learn obedience when you're a kid. You teach obedience to your kids because this is training ground. This is the time where they screw it up and they're disciplined and we teach them about obedience, but at the same time, we pour grace upon grace into the relationship so that it flourishes and kids understand what this is about. I remember having this conversation with Riley when she was 16. Sat her down, kid, what in the She never ran into my fence with a go-kart or with a golf cart, but she did some stupid stuff. What am I going to do with you? Like, I can't let this slide. Why can't you let this slide? I can't let this slide. I mean, you know you're in trouble when you're asking the question, why can't you let this slide? Like, okay, well, so we've challenged each other. Because I need you to learn. So you're 16. It means two years from now, you're going to walk out my door, and I hope that you come back often. But there's no guarantee for me that you will. And so here's what I need to make sure you know. 
before you walk out of my house. I need you to know that obedience to God is not optional. That you can never look at God and say, can't you let it slide? That it won't work. And this is your training ground to figure this out in a context of unconditional love and positive regard, but an insistence on obedience. And so dads, we've got this weird thing we have to figure out. We really do. You've got this weird thing you have to figure out where you have to demand obedience from your children, but at the same time, not squashing their spirit. And that's tough. Okay? That's tough. But that's the call. We continue. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve um, sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. I'm going to stop you here for a second. Don't get lost on the idea of slavery. Sometimes when we talk about this topic, people are like, how come Paul doesn't say slavery is bad? Okay? Listen, the Bible, when we read it and when we understand it, will tell us that, that slavery isn't good. Okay? Uh, the other thing you need to understand here is that this is not slavery the way we've been taught it. Okay? This isn't the way we learn slavery. We talk about slavery in school growing up, the way our kids hear about it now. This isn't that. This is economic um, this, is, this is almost, to, to make it culturally connect, we could almost think in terms of, of foreman and worker, boss, worker. Slavery existed in the time of the New Testament, but it was not racial slavery, it was not uh, ethnic slavery, it was financial, right? It was, I can't afford to pay my bills and feed my family. I will, um, I, I will now be owned by you and I will work for you, and you will provide for my family and my children if I have them. And this is the way these relationships worked by the time we got um, to this culture. And so what he's saying is, slaves, look, 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 obey your earthly masters. Okay? Obey your earthly masters. When you work for them, consider it to be work for the Lord. Culturally, you got a job you think is menial, that you don't love very much, where you just go through the motions, where you hate it, but, but this is the, the call. It's like, you know what? Work hard at your job. Work hard at your job as if you were working for God. You serve in the church. Some of the, some of the church service is like, hey, it's public, and we see it, and it's glamour, glamorous. Uh, maybe not glamorous, but you know, it's like we see these guys sing up here. It's awesome right? Yeah, we got people at the Welcome Center. Everybody sees them when they come in. Hey, let's do announcements and all this, and it's a little bit more. You're downstairs with the kids in the toddler room right now. <sighs> Who's been there? Ain't nothing glamorous about that, unless snot lines right here is glamorous. But you know what? Yeah, just let that sink in for a second. But when you do that work, do it well. That work is worship. That work honors the Lord. Do things with that. And, and then masters, look, if you happen to be in charge of people, be fair and just because you know what? There are people in charge of you too. And God is head of everything. Christ is the head of the church. Listen, relationships are hard to navigate. But that's our call. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and prepare to close us out. Okay? But I, I want us to come back to this this last thought, last slide there, we, we've gone over that, but um, I want us to come back to this last thought, that as we talk about relationships and how hard they are to navigate, um, submission, okay, we need to be experts at submission, okay? 
we need to be experts at love. We need to be experts at obedience and experts at fairness, all while not compromising the gospel. We need to be husbands and fathers that are dying to ourselves every single day to love the spouse that God has given us and to, to raise up and train up and love the children that he's put in our lives. We, we, need, we need to be doing these things every day. And here's the thing, we're not. There's none of us that are nailing it. There's none of us that are awesome at it all the time. There's none of us that are above reproach. There's none of us that doesn't walk away with, you know, speaking to you men. There's none of us that walk away from, from a, uh, in, in an interaction with our wife or an interaction with our girlfriend or an interaction uh, with our kids. And we walk away and we say, I blew that. I know you have. I, I do it every once in a while. Ladies, there's, there's none of you that, that at the end of every day feel like you did exactly what you needed to do that day for your husband and your kids. Like exactly like I nailed it. At least not every day. Kids, don't even get me started on you. I mean, you're great. But this is where we understand the gospel. Because it's the gospel that fixes Everything. It's the gospel that has the power to change everything. Separate from the gospel, we are stuck and we are bankrupt and we will never be able to get it right. But because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, because he changes everything, because we're not stuck in some religious cycle, but that we have freedom to be different through the gospel, it changes everything. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, my life isn't working the way I want it to. My relationships are bankrupt. Nothing is happening the way that it's supposed to happen. May I suggest to you that your issue is simply you need to embrace the gospel. And the gospel is not complicated. The gospel is simple. It's straightforward. And it's all about it submitting to Jesus and doing things his way. And when you do things his way, it's not always easy, but it changes everything. That's the decision we have to make sometimes when we come here. And some, maybe for some of you, it's a first-time decision. I need, I, I need to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some of you, maybe it's a reminder that I need to do it again. I, I need to stop working so hard trying to navigate and manage all this on my own, but I just need to submit. All right, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And as we sing, I want you, I want you to focus there. Here's the deal about the gospel. It is really quite simple. It's not complicated. It's not hard. Uh, it's just simply a matter of God, I'm broken. Jesus is the answer. But, but it's more than that. At some point in time, there has to be a brokenness. There has to be a moment where I say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop doing it on my own, and I'm going to start following God. I'm going to submit, and I'm going to follow the God of the universe, because here's the deal. That's where freedom, I know it seems contradictory, right? You would think that real freedom means you could do whatever you want and be happy, but that's not what it is. Real freedom is found in being who you were created to be. And some of you today, you just need to surrender. You just, you just need to give up.
this idea that you can do whatever you want and be happy and it'll work and God won't care because it's just not the way that it goes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the truth that you love us no matter what and that you provide for us and that you're waiting for us. You're waiting for us to come. You're waiting for us to submit. You're waiting for us to turn away from brokenness and to embrace you with the simple gospel you're calling us. It's not complicated. There's no five steps to follow. There's, there's no ritual to go through. It's just turning from ourselves and embracing you, submitting and trusting you for the salvation that only you can provide. God, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you so much for the God that you are, for the way that you love and the way that you help us navigate life and, and the way that you instruct and empower. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.